You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds, presented by Lost Highway Brewing Company. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. Okay. Hey, Brian. Hey. How you doing, guy? Good. You look good. Hey, man, you know, it's finals week. You're in the midst of finals week. Actually, I think we're technically on a study day. We, oh, you get study days. They build in those off days. So that way students can be, get prepared for finals. Not to, you know, get too into how the sausage is made at the college level, but I think the it's really just to even out instruction days. Oh, interesting. Started on a, the first day of class was not a Monday, Wednesday. It was a Tuesday or a Thursday. Okay. They had to have a class on Monday to even out instruction days. I think. Interesting. Well, props to the uh, the folks there at UM Flint, who are cognizant enough of that. I'm not sure my institution is aware. We spend know. a lot of time at meetings talking about scheduling and how you should schedule stuff. And meetings are so fun. I love meetings. I love a good meeting. I love a good meeting. Love. I'm gonna post it. <laughs> um. Before we get going, I just did you see my shirt? Did I, I did. I did see your shirt. I'm a I'm a huge fan. Had you told me, I would have wore my Big Lebowski shirt. What do you have? Uh, I have the Bullinger, the Medina Saad bowling shirt. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. This is a free promo for the gentlemen and the women over there at uh, Lebowski Fest. If you like some Lebowski gear, go to Lebowski Fest because they've been doing it for a long time. You ever go to Lebowski Fest? No, you told me, didn't you say you went with your wife? I did. We should. How far are you from Louisville? Uh, I mean, pretty not that far. Why? Why in the world is it in Louisville? That's where they're from. That's where the uh, the guys that created Lebowski Fest are from. So that's where it started. They do satellite versions of them now, oh. but the big one is in Louisville. We should go sometime. Like to the big one. I've been to the one in Austin, but it's not nearly like. It's like a three-day event in Louisville every year. They do like bowling. One day is like a, oh, just bowling. <laughs> it's like screening the movie. I think just a drinking day. So that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. I, I, I suspect, you know, it, it might be weird. I would assume it's... I just Googled it. It's just a bunch of dudes in the Big Lebowski sweater. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a bunch of people that are dressed mm-hmm. like us that do it. What a wonderful film that is. What a wonderful, wonderful film. Just inviting some people to our live stream here, just in case they're bored. They want something to do. Oh, today, Brian, uh, we have some sports to cover. It was kind of a slow week in sports, but I'll get us started with our regular social media plugs. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram, sports.nerds, Twitter, at underscore sports nerds, and Facebook. Just search sports nerds. You'll see our floating heads. You'll know who we are. It's the Christmas season. It's the holiday season, excuse me. So um, too bad we don't have merchandise for people to hand out, right? And and give gifts to their loved ones of just you and I. I think that would be... Too bad. Yellow koozies. What more would somebody want than just you and I on their chest? You know, one... Yeah, I, especially... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything sexist. I'm going to leave it there. Okay uh so do that uh, listen to our podcast God, last week we had a shitload of downloads it's crazy it's like our most it's one of our biggest weeks ever i'm not sure what it was i guess the content was salacious i do want to apologize really hilarious 
we were funny. The quality was good too, and I'm noticing that now. Although you don't have your gamer mic on. Should I switch? Yeah, why don't you switch? You're good. I'm gonna talk. You switch. If you can find it. Uh, so let's see. Yeah, it could have could have been just be good quality. We had the uh, the Kareem Hunt story. I kept saying Kendall Hunt. So if you haven't listened to last week's show, I apologize for saying Kendall Hunt instead of Kareem Hunt about six times. I cringed, Brian, as I was listening. I cringed as I was listening to our episode. And let me say, I don't listen to our episodes for fun. I listen because I try to find good, good things, good sound bites to use in our social media. I did not notice you saying Kendall Hunt. You didn't notice? I did not. <sighs> well, uh, you you missed out, buddy. Because uh, I'm going to put that. So Kareem Hunt, not Kendall. I kept I kept thinking Kendall Hunter who was running back at Oklahoma State. He's playing somewhere in the NFL, or was at some point. But that's why I was getting confused. Uh, so there's that. Uh, thanks to those who listen. We continue to get more donor money, which is crazy. I think we're up to like $3 now. So we've doubled. So those listeners out there who are giving us money, thank you. We really, really, truly appreciate it. Uh, you can you can do that at anchor.fm, by the way. Anchor.fm slash sports nerds. Uh, the last thing before we jump into the last two things, I guess, because I'll plug uh, Jay Schrader in my new podcast. It's going to be called and and me in my my new podcast, Unfiltered. It's going to be presented by the Tivoli Brewing Company, and uh, we're going to be featuring interviews with uh, industry stakeholders, mostly brewers and and distillers, um, maybe some coffee roasters, depending on who jumps on board and just kind of discussing their history and some origin stories but we did our first interview this week with uh nate nicholas who is the director of brewing operations over at tivoli and uh he was awesome i fear that brian i fear that those interviews the next ones are not going to be as good as nate i don't know if you knew this but brewers i guess you have a brewer friend brewers tend to be just super smart almost to the to the point of socially awkward have you have you noticed that at all um Am I helping my cause to get these interviews? Well, I, think in I, I, think, I think it's a more of a mixed bag than you think. Maybe. I, th I think you'll find that, uh, you know, that they're not, they're not all cut from the same cloth. Okay. Well, I guess I'll learn, won't I? I started um, reading that, that, that uh, book, Barrel Aged Out and Selling Out. You mean the one that your brother's been talking about for two months? Non. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, that one. I guess I need to buy it. So there's that. So so find unfiltered wherever you get your podcast uh, here in a couple weeks. It's not out yet, but uh, as soon as I get the thumbs up email from the folks at Anchor, um, we will have a preview episode or at least a promo. Do they do they have to give you free beer when you're recording? Is that a requirement? Is that a condition of the interview? It's not a requirement, but um, I've I've realized it's just expected. That yeah, for sure. Like they didn't uh, give you a bill after that, right? You had a couple beers when you recorded. They didn't slide. No. They didn't slide you a tab. I'll tell you this. No, they didn't. They didn't charge us anything. But what I've realized, right, the more I get involved with with breweries as clients and having business meetings at breweries, they give free beer away like it's going out of style. Um, like I had to go into Tivoli last week to get a picture. I needed a picture, so I I, I said, okay, I called Stephanie Raymond, the GM over there. And I said, I need to get a picture. And is there any chance, you know, I could just get a pint of full beer to take a picture with. And she, like, I think she poured like four or five pints and threw four of them out because the, they didn't have the right amount of head on them. <laughs> she wanted the perfect picture, which was kind of funny. But uh, yeah, no, they, I think, 
let me just say breweries are doing just fine at six dollars and fifty cents a pint they are they're covering whatever <laughs> covering all the freebies yeah covering all the freebies so uh if they gave away less free beer beers would cost yeah. like two bucks yeah ex- exactly i just 100%. heard this thing this is something i should probably tell you off air on um michigan public radio the other day about um a brewery that just opened up somewhere on the west side of the state like grand rapids or something like that um uh, and this the mo of this brewery is that brewing and and craft beer in particular is this primarily kind of uh, white dude endeavor right and this guy who started a brewery with the with the with the intention, the expressed expressed purpose of kind of diversifying the reach and culture of craft beer makes the argument that there's all sorts of problems about uh, that, that, that sort of make craft brew this, again, this primarily white middle-class male centered thing. And his argument is that it starts with things about just kind of the, the way that drinking culture differs across um, different subsets of people, but also makes the argument that there's not much of uh, an incentive on the part of craft brewers to reach out to people of color and women in particular, or, mm-hmm. or people of color in particular, but women also. Um, and he says, as a result, that that means that we have far less people who are in the business of brewing who are, you know, women or people of color or who are actual brewers um, themselves. And, he, and part of his argument is is cost as well, that cost is an entry barrier that the $7 pint turns off turns off a lot of people. It's really interesting. I'll have to find it. If I can find this thing, I'll send it to you. It'd be a sweet interview for you guys to do. It's not Colorado, but. No, that's fine. Yeah, same with the story. I'm quite interested in, in kind of reading that or listening to it. That sounds fascinating. Uh, okay, so there's that. Oh, then the last thing is the college bull pick them. Uh, a lot of folks are already on there. I think we're, we're over 40 entries or so in the first couple of days. We're going to shoot for over 100. So uh, what you can do if you're interested, the entry is free. Um, it's it's You go through and it's a straight pick. Uh, setup so you pick the winners of the bowl games um the entry again sorry is free i don't need to be redundant but i think that's important and then the the prizes will go to the top three including some cash and some prizes and so uh, you can go to tinyurl.com slash sn pick'em that's tinyurl.com slash SN Pick'em. Share it with your friends. Tell people about it. We want to get a lot of people in there. Uh, it's a great way, I don't know, to get people involved and interested, not necessarily in the show, but to kind of build a community community around what Brian and I are doing. Can you turn your stuff down just a little bit? I'm hearing some echo. Is it the... They're, is both, it they're both all the way down. They're both all the way down? Okay. All right. Um, Maybe if I just turn this down. How about now? Yeah, that's good. No, I can't hear you. Okay, let's jump into uh, to to some some uh, uh, thirty thousand. What we want to say? Some larger stories. They're not they're not specific to events of uh, of in sports this week necessarily, but kind of larger social socio cultural stories that that go into to sports. So the first thing I wanted to, this, I guess this is somewhat timely. Did you read the story about the uh, the city of Oakland suing the NFL? I did. Okay. It made so me laugh. Want, explain that <laughs> explain that to our listeners. Um yeah, I mean basically what it says is that uh the city of Oakland is is seeking not to keep the Raiders in Oakland, but just for monetary damages um for leaving. Uh you know, it's it's been a, a hot topic for a couple of years because we've had how many teams move? You had the, the St. Louis Rams go to LA and become the LA Rams. We had the San Diego Chargers go to LA and become the LA Chargers, which I don't know if anyone else 
LAR and LAC as they're like on TV score acronyms kind of confuse me. Um, uh, but now we've got the, the Oakland Raiders, formerly the Los Angeles Raiders, formerly the Oakland Raiders going to become um, the Las Vegas Raiders. And to, to get, to get a team to move, I mean, it may not seem like it's that difficult of a thing, but it's actually very difficult for teams to to pick up and move for a couple of reasons. One is that the the league doesn't like it. The NFL, the Shield, prefers teams to stay in the same place. I think that their um, kind of business model is one that assumes that you cultivate uh, a sort of fan culture by keeping teams in the same city, um, and I think it also helps them sell uh, a vision of. Uh, some kind of intrinsic relationship between the team's location in the city and that city. And I have more to say about that in a second. Um, The other reason is that oftentimes, uh, I would say almost all the time, I won't say oftentimes, professional sports teams have um, contractual relationships that the cities that they live in. A good example would be uh, when the Denver Broncos built Invesco Field at Mile High, they both got some tax uh, subsidies by the people in Denver who voted to agree to pay for that stadium. But there's also revenue sharing and different agreements about how to um, cultivate the areas around those stadiums, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think that Oakland's argument here is that the the Raiders violated some, you know, the letter or the spirit of some, some agreement to their lease with the city on the stadium, for example. I'm not totally sure. Um, and so they're pissed about it. I'll be honest, I'm a Raiders fan. I wish they stayed, we're staying in Oakland. It kind of sounds like sour grapes. I mean, this is this is a, a conversation that seems to come up every time any professional organization wants to build a new stadium, right? Whether it be a, a baseball stadium um, or a, a basketball stadium or whatever, we have this kind of national fight about um, about whether or not fans should be expected to help foot the bill uh, for for professional stadiums. And one side tends to make the arguments that sports team's ownership are incredibly rich, incredibly wealthy, and they should be able to pay for it themselves and just make a little bit less money of the, you know, the millions and billions of dollars they make in profits every year. The argument on the other side is cities get a benefit from having a professional sports team, right? It, it brings a benefit to the city that the, the city should be willing to in some sense, pay for. Are you saying that it does? It does bring the benefit. Or are you saying that's how they kind of frame it? That's oh, how they think of it. I think that's. The, I think that's the argument for why cities. I'm not making this argument. I think people make the argument that's the reason why cities should taxpayers should cities should give tax breaks to 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 sports organizations it, in whatever way it happens. Cities ought to incentivize ought to incentivize um, sports organizations to stay. In their city, I'm, I'm not sure that either of these arguments are totally true. I think they're both probably kind of true. I don't know. Can yeah, you I mean, can you blame the Raiders for leaving for Las Vegas if Vegas is like we'll build you a brand new stadium when the alternative is to stay in the only dual use stadium still in operation? Right. the The Oakland Coliseum was built in like the the 70s or 60s or something. It's widely viewed as the worst facility in all of professional football, and it's the only dual use one. They still play baseball there as well. Yeah. I, 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 how do you how do you blame the Raiders for leaving? Uh, also, at the same time, I don't blame the the city of Oakland or the citizens of Oakland for not wanting to pay a huge tax increase to keep them there. But I'm not sure which side I would say is right or wrong. Yeah, I think what's what's happening is like all of the the 
the bigger stakeholders in all of this, I guess we could say the Raiders and then the city of Oakland and the city of Las Vegas, they are justifying their choices, their decision-making, their stances in really, really different ways. And what I mean by that is like the NFL is, is saying, you know, we're moving the Raiders to Las Vegas because it is lucrative for the entire league uh, and the owners of the Raiders. I don't think that the fans are necessarily at the center of that decision. It, I don't understand how they could be, considering Las Vegas is such a transient city. But then if you consider like Oakland, they are um, legitimating or framing their suing of the NFL and the owners in a very kind of civic-centered argument, in the sense like they owe it to this city to to stay there. And the fact that they didn't uh, means that they should persecuted or or have to give back some of the the earnings that they achieved while 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 living or or residing in Oakland. And so it's almost like the conversation is fucked from the get-go because um they're coming at it from such different angles that no no conclusion is going to be uh to be right if that's if that makes sense. Or no no middle ground is going to be met that's going to appease all sides. I mean that's the issue with this. Like it's <sighs> This is, this is to me an interesting story because I like to look at how language frames things. And so the NFL can say things like it's, you know, we're interested in, in the fandom of Las Vegas and people will be drawn to it. But in reality, if you, if you read any of the backstory or any of the investigative reports, including the one that came out last year that was in ESPN in the magazine and talked about the role Sheldon Edelson played in this whole move, the NFL is is so much a money making entity that the fans I don't really think serve that big of a purpose. And in fact, they kind of just this is ironic or funny because I talked to Darren Hicks, our advisor, on Monday, and we were having beers. Um, I think they really they milk the conviction, right? They milk that irrational connection to a team uh, that fans have, and so basically they know that uh, in terms of like big picture merchandising money or or value of a franchise, yeah, they're going to leave Oakland, but the vast majority of Raiders fans, yourself included, are not going to all of a sudden jump ship. So it's a, it's a smart economic move, but they're framing it uh, in a way that that makes it sound like it's better for the fan. Is yeah. that your view? Yeah. Sure. For for all the fans that they lose because, you know, that they're 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 Oakland Raiders fans because of their ties to the city of Oakland, they'll gain those fans in Las Vegas, right? People who want to have an attachment to the Raiders because they have some sort of connection to Las Vegas. And from the NFL's perspective, even if they don't, Las Vegas is a good place to have a team because you have so many people traveling there for other reasons who want to gamble on stuff who will go see the Raiders. They don't even need a bunch of Raiders fans. I think the premise of this of this particular move is different than many other ones where it's like the que- the central question is not can you cultivate a fan base but rather will people go out there to see their teams play against the Raiders right I I have uh, a, we have a mutual friend who I won't name on air who uh, put his name down for Raiders season tickets. He's a Broncos fan for Raiders season tickets, thinking I'll be able to sell these season tickets and then once a year I'll go out there and watch the Broncos play in Vegas. And I like Vegas. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's a, it's a different market. It's a different business model. I want to jump back to what you said before though, which I think is really the important part about this. When I read this article, my, the first thing I thought about was Amazon, right? We just had the past, whatever year or year and a half, Amazon getting all these different cities to basically uh, come up with, here's the things that we'll offer you. If you bring, you know, HQ to Amazon headquarters to, to our city. 
right? Um, we'll promise you, you know, tax incentives. We'll promise you this. We'll promise you that, et cetera. Trying to to sell yourself um, to Amazon, and that's basically the same thing you have when you have uh, sports organizations that want to move, right? Come here, and we'll give you, you know, this this much uh, tax incentives. Come here, and we'll give you a new stadium, et cetera. All these different things. Um, what's really interesting about that is I don't think that there's anybody who thinks about the fact that their city is home to Amazon's headquarters as something they'd be proud of. Like, you're not yeah. going to walk around and be like, fuck yeah, Amazon's sweet, you know, uh, whatever, you know, fuck eBay, right? I, I don't know if that's really their competitor. You see my point, though? But your point about kind of our irrational connection to sports teams is really interesting because there is no essential or intrinsic relationship between the Denver Broncos and Denver. It's just a business that happens to be in Denver. <laughs> Right, like they don't even have to be called the Denver Broncos. No, no. There's, there's no essential connection between the Detroit Red Wings and Detroit. Right. There's no, but, but, but what they're selling is, I have an emotional connection to this city, probably because I'm, I'm from here. It's the same that nativism logic, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of hometown pride logic is this it, that 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 fuels sports fanmanship is the exact same logic that fuels you know kind of nationalist tendencies or populist tendencies in politics Uh, here's what's key right to what you're saying and again i'm gonna i have to i have to give darren credit for this because um he helped me think through this uh, and it's his idea but the key to conviction right and again conviction in the most simplistic terms really are kind of emotional he would call it uh, a physiological or affective connection to a thing or an ideal that isn't necessarily connected to the actual word or idea itself. And so what that means is it's like one's love of the Denver Broncos goes beyond the actual logo, goes beyond the stadium, goes beyond watching the television every Sunday. It's something bigger than that. It's like a, it's a, it's a extra discursive, extra linguistic connection and conviction is effective because it's not necessarily the number of people who share that conviction, but the energy or the amount, the measurable amount of conviction that is held by that group. And so what I mean by that, and that's what's happening here, is that a city can build a new stadium. And that's going to pass because the affective energy, the conviction of the fan base in that city whether it's smaller than the city itself in terms of numbers need not matter because the power of those 100,000 fans and their conviction is more significant than the lack of conviction or power of those maybe 900,000 non-fans. Does that make sense to you? Because I think that like that's key to me, right? That's that's what a lot like the love of the Dallas Cowboys allows Jerry Jones to build that stadium in Arlington. It's a, it, it's you know the desire to have baseball in Colorado allows the Coors family to build Coors Stadium without the vast majority of stakeholders who are being booted out of that area ever having a stay, or if they do have a say, that stay not mattering, especially in the larger decision-making space, the larger public sphere. And I think that's actually thinking through with sports in this way helps me really understand kind of that argument, that idea of conviction. And I think, I don't know, I mean, that's what's going on here, right? No, that makes that makes that makes total sense, right? And you can contrast sort of the 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 true fan, right? The 
the the diehard fan would be the the terminology that you would hear a lot in in sports circles and compare that person with the fair weather fan mm-hmm. right or mm-hmm. the bandwagon fan and you could say that the difference between those two fan groups is the question of affective connection or conviction versus just kind of wanting to get the 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 benefits of associating yourself with that team via fanmanship right does that make sense here's the difference the people who loved the cleveland loved the loved the cleveland cavaliers easy for me to say before lebron got there after he left when he got back and after he left again versus the people that you know that that stadium sold out every single game when lebron was there and now it's it's half empty all the time i assume absolutely absolutely here's something too like if think about this outside of professional sports like I, i'm thinking about in terms of collegiate athletics and one as as we're this is this might this needs to be our, one of our next blogs think about somebody like um nick saban making millions of dollars annually to coach a college football team that is allowed that payment is allowed not because the vast majority of Alabamans, Alabamans, Alabamans agree that, agree that Nick Saban should be paid that much. Because I, yeah, I understand that Alabama's huge. It's a football, you know, state. They're they're into it. But I would, I would almost guarantee that the majority of the state doesn't give a shit about football. So that means that the minority who love football, who are on board with Nick Saban and national titles, they account for enough conviction or affective energy that goes into that to basically allow for the payment of Nick Saban when in fact maybe he shouldn't maybe maybe the president of Alabama should be making that much or that money should be going to professors and so it happens at every level right i think it probably happens at the high school level quite honestly if you get into places where um where high school football or high school basketball matter the most but it's really that fan base that legitimizes those kinds of decisions, especially financial decisions, despite the fact that fan base is maybe outnumbered by those who don't care. That's conviction. That's quite honestly conviction. Yeah. Any comments about that before? No, we I, th- I think that's a good, that's a good pin in it. <sighs> I guess we need to write a paper about that next. It's possible. That would actually get published because it's Darren. <laughs> with the right with him. Okay. So that's story. Number one, story number two. You want to go Kaepernick or the uh, the Ottavino thing? Because we may not have time for both. Oh, then let's do Ottavino. Okay, let's talk about Ottavino. I was this was awesome, right? I love this stuff. Uh, I'll let you summarize. You do a better job somebody, of summarizing than me. Somebody needs you need to post this so people can read it because it's a short but hilarious read. Um, apparently, Adam, Adam Ottavino was on um, uh, the podcast MLB.com's podcast that's called the Statcast Podcast. And uh, about halfway through the podcast, he makes a comment that um, uh, about how he had a conversation when he was in AAA, Adam Adovino, this is, um, that said that while Babe Ruth should absolutely be understood as a historically great and important player, that if he if he played in today's Major League Baseball, that he would he would just be just be terrible. Uh, and basically says, uh, look, Babe Ruth with Babe Ruth with that swing, swinging that bat. I got him hitting 140 with eight homers, which is <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. Then the article kind of I don't know who wrote this article that you found. Uh, Samir Kalaf uh, shows some some video 
um, some historical video of uh, kind of old timey baseball swings and old timey pitching and old timey baseball running, and then shows a bunch of uh, uh, gifts of Adam Montavino throwing just ridiculous sliders and and, and other breaking balls, and and just kind of goes on to um, support. Adam Ottavino's central thesis that Babe Ruth uh, would be a terrible baseball player in 2018, um, and so I mean he basically makes the point that it's it's a it's a conditioning thing, it's a um, you know kind of professional dedication to the game thing that a lot of players back in the day you know had other jobs and 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 weren't really all about tuning their body for the explicit purpose of pitching baseballs or hitting baseballs or whatever. And that, yeah, old, old time baseball players uh, should not be thought of as less great, but would be, would be terrible in, in I, the modern <laughs> major league baseball. And I, the last line of this article is Babe Ruth would fill his itchy wool trousers with partially digested hot dogs. If he saw that shit coming at him get real and there's a video of adam Montavino just throwing a ridiculous slider okay your thoughts on this uh, first off he's I right mean, yeah he's right i'm, I'm, pers- I'm persuaded i am too I th- this is the problem with baseball and you and i love baseball as much as anybody else out there right we are diehard baseball nuts but i fear that baseball is not going to be able to to adapt to a changing demographic, a changing fan base for shit like this, right? Baseball is so tied to the past. And what's funny is this got attention, right? This story got attention because somebody was attacking the history of baseball. And, and you know, it's going to be the same shit like uh, Bryce Harper shows no respect for the game, all this stuff. Like, have some fun, right? Stop taking everything so seriously. I love this, man. And it's so true. It's so true. I think it's- the same thing. I, I've gotten uh, attacked for saying the same thing about golfers. That yeah. the conversation about Tiger versus Jack Nicholas is stupid. Yeah. When Jack yeah. Nicholas played, courses were like 5,500 yards, not what are they now? 9,000 yards? I mean, obviously the technology and the training is different. And I've had this fight with our mutual friend, John Reef, before. And he says, well, if Jack Nicholas played at the exact same time as Tiger Woods, he would also have the benefit of all that technology and stuff. So therefore, he would still be as good. But I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, right? There's a, there's a different level of athlete. I'm not saying that failed micro race racial racial uh, comment. There's just a, look at Dustin Johnson, right, or Brooks Kepka. They're just different athletes, and it's not necessarily just about their physical training. I think they're naturally better athletes than Arnold Palmer or Jack Jack Nicholas, or in this case, right, Babe Ruth. I don't even I don't get it, right? I I really don't get it. Um, how that. That guy had to have success because he was he was a monster at a time playing against guys that had kind of just picked up the game for fun. I don't know. What am I trying to say? Like it's just like even I think even to compare like Roger Maris to Babe Ruth is a problem. Like Roger Maris, arguably a much better power hitter than Babe Ruth. And even if you look at him, looks way more athletic. And so as as we go through the eras of baseball, absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with technology, but it's just people are, we evolve as a species and become more, what's the word, refined, I guess. Am I getting in trouble for saying that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you will or not. We've talked about other other things that I think are are kind of corollaries to this as well, which are, you know, we've moved away from the, we've moved away from the multi-sport athlete to the single sport athlete, right? So, 
you know, if you, if you're going to be a professional golfer, uh, in 2018, you probably started playing competitive golf and focusing your energy on golf at a very, very young age. Um, that wasn't true 30 years ago, right. Where maybe you, you played multiple sports in high school, maybe even in college, right. Does that make sense? Um, as opposed to, you know, playing AAU basketball, at, travel competitive basketball at the age of six or seven or something, right? We're all subjected on social media to videos of LeBron's kid, you know, dunking on other nine-year-olds and shit like that already. Actually, those are kind of fun to watch. But the point is, I think that the the that sports are are taken, I want to say much more seriously, but that's not right. But the the seriousness that, you see around professional sports has increased along with the the value of them as an enterprise right i mean uh, seriously within some people who listen to this podcast's lifetime professional athletes did not make like you know if your dad or my dad's listening listening did not professional athletes did not make enough money to not have different jobs in the off season. This happened in the seventies and the eighties, right? Where you didn't get paid all that much money. Uh, if you were, you know, an average professional baseball player and you'd sell insurance during the off season or something like that. Or, you know, the joke that gets made in this article is that you were a bartender or you worked at a saloon or something like that. Um, now the money goes up, the seriousness goes up, the dedication goes up and that trickles down to, to younger and younger athletes. So it's, it's true um, that, that the technology and stuff has gotten better. But I think that your, that your observation that people appear more athletic is not that like, you know, that, that we've evolved or that our genetics have changed, but rather you're starting to be more serious about sports at a really, really young age. And you're kind of cultivating, um, and disciplining people mentally and physically and psychologically to be, you know, to excel at, at a particular task. We don't have the, I don't think we have the the language to effectively make sense of the progression of the human species over the last 150 years. And what I mean by that is you, Hitler ruined everything because now everything sounds like eugenics, right? Everything sounds like, like, like somehow there's, there's a race that's better than the other races. That's not at all what I mean. I no, think it's, no, that's not, that's not what I heard you say. No. Okay. But I think it's like, if you consider the development, the the actual external forces on the development of the human species over the last 150 years, the influence of those forces is exponentially more significant than the influence of the forces of perhaps the previous thousand years combined, right? So like technology allows us to evolve faster. Uh, the technology we've seen in the last 15 years I would argue, has allowed our brains to evolve faster than whatever technology made possible the 85 years previous to that. I think that's going to be, I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? When you, when you look at neuroscience research that shows the effect of things like the internet and social media or even... No, no, now, now it does sound eugenics-y. I take it back. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> no, I, do, I, don't, I don't think it's like some... I don't think it's it's a biological change, and I don't think that's really what you're trying to argue. I think I think I think this but the thing like this isn't about race to me. This is just the human species, right? This is all humans. I do think it's biological, and I think it's neurological, and I think we have we're changing very fast, and that is obviously impacted by external factors, but it's also I would say very very physical. I don't know. You don't agree, do you? No, it's, it's not that I disagree. I think I just think about it differently than you do. I, I don't. I don't know if this is a perfect analogy or not. It's probably not. 
every once in a while you have a really good college football team. Maybe they'll say it this year. Maybe there will be conversations after this national championship season's over and people will say, oh, that Alabama team, I wonder if they could beat an NFL team, right? No, they could not. Against the worst NFL team, they would get trounced. It wouldn't even be fun to watch. It wouldn't be fun to watch because the quality and the caliber of the of the players at the at the very best highest upper level of college is nowhere near an accumulation of the best players from around the country on the worst on the worst NFL team. That's the way I kind of think about you know the dead ball era versus modern baseball is to say it's not that you're not good. You were Babe Ruth. You were the best for your t- for your time and place. But if I transplanted you. Right. Not if you were raised in modern times, but if I just transplanted you to modern baseball, I'm with Adam Adovino. You hit you hit 140 and eight home runs or whatever. It's in my mind, it's possible that if Babe Ruth was born in 1985, that he's a great baseball player today and could be and could compete with the rest of these dudes. But there's literally no way to know that. Right. This is the Jack Nicholas argument to me. Would Jack Nicholas be uh, competitive with the best golfers of today if he was born of their same generation and had the same training and technology and all of that stuff. I'm not sure you could know that. I think it's a different, you know, it's, it's, it's a different context. It's, it's apples and oranges. It's college football and professional football. I fear that we've, we've slid into shock jock territory. my friend. <laughs> we are now having debates about things that don't matter. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but the article was really funny though. Yeah, it was good. It's worth checking out. Uh, Bleacher Report is the one that I sent you. Um, it's entitled "No Offense, but Adam." Ad- oh, sorry, Deadspin. No, which makes it even better. No offense, but Adam Adovino would make Babe Ruth look like a sack of pig assholes, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yeah. There's right, another I- sentence from it that's great. Yes, yes, Ruth is synonymous with baseball and and an end and all time great, but his hitting mechanics would get eaten alive today. Look at this mess. And then there's a video, and it's true. It's way he opens that shoulder. <laughs> well, and every all these videos, these dudes have no balance. They swing and they basically fall over. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like a, it's like a, one of those Bugs Bunny things. <laughs> strikes out. Three Bat times. speed trash. Stance trash. Running form trash. He runs like Benny Hill. I love that. <laughs> I love that one. All right, I gotta I gotta call us off because I've got to go um, be a college professor. So no fun. Um, yeah, you too, buddy. Good luck with the grading, and um, we we will talk later. All right, later on. See ya.